Hi, need a ride? Hop on in. I'm headed to Julia's Trucking Cafe. Come on, let's go. We made it just in time. Come on, let's go get a seat. Hey everybody, welcome to Julia's Trucking Cafe. Glad you made it and have a seat. Everybody get something to drink? Brian, Brian, you back there. Put the beer down. Hello, attention up here. Now just sit back and enjoy the show. I have a lot of news to get to, so let's get right to it. Diabetic truckers with proper treatment no longer need a FMCSA waiver to operate a semi-truck. So the FMCSA makes it easier, and they announced a final rule that streamlines the process for some diabetic drivers to be qualified to operate commercial vehicles interstate. So before this ruling, individuals with insulin-treated diabetes, mellitus, if I'm pronouncing that right, were not allowed to operate commercial vehicles in interstate unless they received an exemption from the FMCSA. The new rule will allow a diabetic driver's medical examiner to give the driver a medical driver examiner certificate good for up to a year, provided that the driver's diabetic diabetes is well controlled. The rule enables a certified medical examiner to grant an individual a medical examiner certificate, MCSA 5876, for up to 12 months. To do so, the treating clinician, the healthcare professional who manages and prescribes the insulin for the treatment of the individual's diabetes, provides the assessment form. To the certified ME indicating that the individual maintains a stable insulin regimen and proper control of his or her diabetes. The certified medical examiner is then responsible for determining if the individual meets FMCSA's physical qualification standards and can operate a commercial vehicle in interstate commerce. The FMCSA says that the new rule will save approximately 5,000 drivers with insulin-dependent insulin diabetes about $5 million per year in cost involved with obtaining an FMCSA exemption. The new rule is also expected to save the FMCSA about a million dollars over the next three years. Now, um, it also, they have to have a final rule in order to grant the medical certificate. Examiners must receive the assessment form from the driver's treating clinician and stating the driver maintains the stable insulin regimen and proper control of his or her diabetes and then decides if the driver meets the physical qualification standard, as I just mentioned. Drivers with the insulin-dependent diabetes will be required to provide their treating clinician with at least three months of good bl of blood glucose self-monitoring records to be able to receive the one-year medical certificate. If three months are not available, the driver can receive up to a three-month certificate until the driver has three months of records. Telemedicine, walk-in, truck stop clinics could keep the drivers rolling when sick. When you're ill, far from home, finding a local doctor isn't often practical and getting a sicker doesn't count. 
doesn't cut it. So if a diabetic trucker has severe uh, hypoglycemic episode, he or she is not allowed to drive a truck and must report the episode and be evaluated by their treating clinician, doctor, as soon as possible. The driving prohibition lasts until the clinician clinician determines that the episode has been addressed and the driver again has stable insulin regimen. So in other words, if your insulin spikes or if you go into, um, God forbid, a diabetic coma or something, uh, you're not allowed to drive until it is stabilized and your treating physician that is prescribing the insulin to you uh, sees that it has been stabilized for a period of time before you are free to go back to driving a truck again. Drivers diagnosed with severe non-proliferated, say that fast 10 times, diabetic retinopathy or proliferated diabetic retinopathy, both conditions with diabetes affects the eyesight are permanently disqualified from driving a commercial vehicle. FMCSA have been working on this rule since notice of proposed rulemaking was published back in May of 2015. Following that, the agency's medical review board issued recommendations on how the agency should proceed with the rule that were published in September 2016. Then, July of 2017, FMCSA opened another comment period about changes to the original notice of proposed rulemaking. So truck drivers have a higher than average risk for diabetes, which affects over 30 million Americans, largely because of the sedentary nature of truck driving, which contributes to obesity. In other words, we sit on our ass all day long without getting exercise, and it does lead to obesity. I mean, drivers look around you, you know. So don't heckle somebody who's out jogging, don't heckle somebody is walking around the parking lot. I try to take my dog out for a, for a walk around the parking lot at least, you know, a couple of times a day, hopefully, especially with the weather being so beautiful and so nice right now in fall. Uh, she needs the exercise. She likes to get out and, and run and get out of the truck her too. And I need the exercise as well. Um, also, to help, try to help keep my weight down, I started a B12 regimen. And it, I got a um, quick dissolve a little tablet, and it does like, you know, 2,500 mi- micrograms or something of B12. I take like four a day, you know, make sure I get it in my system. And just really cut down on eating, and they're saying no bread, no pasta, no this, no that. Everything in moderation. You know, you really got to cut down on the sweets, which I have a hard time doing. I'm guilty of all of this. You know, cut down on the sweets, cut down on the the pastas. You're not supposed to have anything with starch. You're not supposed to have anything, you know, that turns to sugar right away. That's what I've been hearing. Well, I'm sorry, I just can't live like a rabbit all the time, you know. I like, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm, but we were hardworking. And especially as kids, you know, you had to go out and bale hay and, and shovel crap and chase cows around the pasture. That was our excitement is chase a cow around a or a calf that got out of the out from the fence, you know, a half a mile block all the way around the block in order to bring it back home to where it belongs. So, you know, we did a lot of physical activity back then when we were kids. You know, uh, a lot of times before I got my riding lawnmower, that makes us lazy too, I was uh, cutting lawn with a push lawnmower. 
you know, but I'm just too far out of shape anymore to do that. But I enjoy doing that. I don't have a problem cutting along with a push, mo- push mower. Of course, it'd better have a gas tank and a gas engine on it and not the old-fashioned scissor kind of push mowers. But anyways, I'm digressing again. And in other news, the CVSA releases 2018 Operation Safe Driver Week results back from July. And let's see, what did I do with that silly thing? It is in here. There it is. Found it. The CMV, Commercial Motor Vehicle Enforcement Personnel, patrolled the roadways during Operation Safe Driver Week, July 15th through the 21st. We all remember that. So, you can read this article. It's going to be in the show notes. I'm running a little bit behind about posting stuff in the show notes, so I have to get on that. Bad, bad Julia, bad Julia. And uh, offers officers, I'll read eventually. I'll be able to, I'll be able to talk. Y'all laughing at me. Brian Hushbechter. Officers issued 57,405 citations and 87,907 warnings to drivers throughout that week. The Safe Driving Enforcement and Awareness Campaign aims to call attention to drivers' behaviors, the main causes of crashes, and combat those behaviors through heightened traffic safety enforcement and educational outreach. Well, I didn't see much education going on, but I sure seen a lot of cops doing inspections and writing tickets. You know, how about y'all? During that operation of uh, Safe Driver Week, 113,331 commercial drivers and passenger vehicles uh, and and cars issued 57,405 citations. A total of 42,144 commercial contacts were made with 10,709 citation issued and 71,187 passenger vehicle contacts were made and 46,696 citation issued. Okay, let me read those numbers again. Commercial vehicle drivers, okay? 113,331. Out of that, 57,405 citations were issued. Out of commercial vehicle, how many they inspected was 42,144. Either pulled over, inspected, something like that. Out of that 42,144, only 10,000 709 citations were issued. Now, on passenger cars, 71,187 were pulled over for something, and 46,696 citations were issued. Tickets were issued. Hmm, let me see. They pulled 30,000 more passenger cars over than they did trucks, but they rode out 36,000 more tickets to cars than they did trucks. So, guess what? We might be doing something right. Woohoo! The top five citations to the commercial drivers were... Number five, using a handheld phone. Number four... Failure to obey a traffic control device, 754 citation. Out of the using a handheld phone, 262. So that means 262 drivers were caught using a phone up to their ear. 262 year old, I'm calling every damn one of you out. Get a damn Bluetooth headset. I don't care if you like using it or not. If you don't like using it, put down the fucking phone. Excuse my language. I'm going to cuss on this show. Sorry. I'm about over it. Number three, failing to use a seatbelt while operating commercial vehicle. 1,169 citations. Number two, speeding. 1,908 citations. Number and the number one citation issued to commercial vehicles, 
state and local laws were violated, whether failure to stop at a stop sign, yielding to oncoming traffic, anything like that, 6,008 citations. Now the top five citations issued to cars and trucks, and I'm talking pickup trucks, Number five, failure to obey a traffic control device, 739. Four, inattentive and or careless driving, 1,655. Three, failing to use a seatbelt, 3,103. Number two, speeding, 16,909 citations were issued. And the top one, state and local laws were not being um, followed. 21,511 citations were issued to passenger vehicles. Holy smokes. Speeding was the second most cited infraction in both commercial and passenger vehicles. A total of, uh, and I just read you the stats there. 17 commercial drivers and 714 passenger vehicles were cited for driving too fast for conditions. Failure to wear a seatbelt was the third most cited offense both commercial drivers and passenger vehicle drivers. Officers used, issued 3,103 citations to cars and 1169 to commercial vehicles, like I, I gave you with the stats. They found that the total number of people killed in motor vehicle crashes in 216, 48% were not wearing a seatbelt. Seatbelts could have saved an estimated 2,456 people if they had been wearing one. Could have. My personal opinion, my point of view, when they start putting seatbelts on motorcycles and in boats, I'll start wearing one. I wear one when I go into the scale, okay? Most of the time. Most of the time, I do wear one. But there again, old school, you know? I get very claustrophobic. So, and I will admit that I'm not, you know, don't always wear a seatbelt. So, you know, I'll be the first one to admit it. And, um... So again, you can read the rest of the the uh, notes here in, in the show notes, the rest of the stats, I mean, on, on this report. Now, I was going to talk about this next story last week. I put a, uh, I emailed the reporter that reported on this story from um, the TV station, but uh, I have no, uh, they haven't got back to me. But I wanted to make sure, you know, I wanted to check and make sure that there were no more updates on this case. And uh, it's with very sad news that I need, have to report that a 25-year-old female truck driver, Carmesha Thomas of uh, Mississippi Delta, and she drove for KLM, was found dead in her truck at the Mardi Gras truck stop on Elysian Fields on Wednesday, September 12th. Now, I didn't report on it last week because of the fact that it, it came out after I aired the, the show. And uh, there is not much reporting on this from all accounts that um, her mom just wants to know what happened to her. Um, from what I read here, she's from, mom's from Clarksdale, Mississippi. I live in Mississippi. So it kind of hits home for me. That the last time her mom heard from her was on Sunday, September 9th. And she said that her daughter lost her phone or had uh, wanted to let her know that she got pickpocketed. And that workers at the truck stop told you know Eyewitness News that they saw Miss Thomas inside the store on Sunday. And that she used the phone and she watched the football game. Well, then later on she left 
and from my research accounts is in and like I said I'm only reporting what I've what I've read is that she went to New Orleans and then got a ride back with either a Uber or a Lyft uh, later uh, this is still on Sunday and I don't know exactly when she called her mom to let her know you know that her phone was missing and that later on on Wednesday KLM contacted the truck stop to do a check she said the, the store manager said she received a call from the dispatcher asking them to conduct a welfare check and they found that the doors were locked so they called the fire department and the police department and she said when she came out they banged on the window and they didn't get an answer but they saw a lot of flies so the police and the firefighters broke the window to the truck and that's when they found uh, Miss Thomas's body inside and they said that she was covered in blood now from Sunday to Wednesday is only a few days I didn't research enough and I should have my bad on um, what the temperature was then in in that area in Elysian Fields because I've been in the Mardi Gras truck stop it ain't the greatest place in the whole wide world and for the newbie drivers that are listening uh, uh, a word of advice from an old granny if the hair stands up on the back of your neck when you enter a truck stop turn right around and leave always listen to your gut because it's telling you this place ain't very good and this place ain't ain't all that there's safer places to park i it's not reported if her truck was running it's not reported if she had a load my wonderment is why in the world did Clem, KLM, I always called him Clem, not check on her before Wednesday? Why did they wait? When, you know, we all have satellite tracking in our truck, especially KLM does, they've had it for years. They're as bad as Werner, they've had it for years. Why didn't KLM dispatcher Monday afternoon or Monday evening? check on her or call the truck stops hey is our truck still there is our truck still moving or is it did it move or what and could you go out and do a wellness check why wait till wednesday three days now what her mom says is that uh, they when they got the news um they immediately traveled down to mississippi or from mississippi to new orleans uh but they returned home with very little answers. Um, the mom said, Mrs. Thomas says the authorities wouldn't let her, allow her to see her daughter's body. They told me they had to chemically embalm her and wrap her up in a pouch. Thomas, she just wants to know why it took three days for the truck stop to discover her, her missing daughter, knowing that they pay daily for parking spots. Well, Mrs. Thomas, if you're listening to this by chance, it is not the, tr I'm sorry to say this, but there again is coming from a 30 year veteran. It is not the truck stop's responsibility to check on truck drivers, albeit your daughter, whoever, because you park in their facility at your own risk. And they specifically say that. Anytime we park at a truck stop, rest area, shipper, receiver, any place, we are parking at our own risk. It was the responsibility of KLM to check on your daughter as their employee because she was not I don't think she leased a truck she was, didn't have enough experience I don't know 
I don't know if she's a, I don't even know if she's a company truck or a lease truck. I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And her mom says she was supposed to be coming home the next day. So, you know, the Orleans Parish coroner says that the cause of death and manner of death remains under investigation. Her mom really believes that someone did something to her. Um, she just doesn't know. Um, and she doesn't know if she might have been poisoned. She just, she doesn't know. And so, put yourself in, in that mom's place. I would hate. To find out something happened to my son and not know what happened or any of my kids you know so you can put yourself in that mom's place that nobody knows what happened to her after she returned from the from she's they said she went out in another story they said that she went to new orleans and that she returned with an uber so she got a ride or something but you know the doors are locked was the truck running like i said was she under a load so in memory of carmisha thomas i wanted to do a little song for her
dedicate that to the memory of this 25 year old driver let's all please never forget and always pray for her that you know never take for granted what we have in this life and you know the good living that we're making an suv slams into the way station on i-95 in waterford connect connecticut the crash happened just after 11 a.m at the way station on the southbound side of i-95 between exits 82 and 81 according to the state police in in connecticut the vehicle caused heavy damage to the building but there was no serious injuries also um they ended up cleaning up knocking down the rest of the building and they ended up cleaning up you know just just knocking the whole building down a freight boom and the elds create a most destructive time seen in the trucking industry according to analysts and economists at the FTR conference. Last year has been the most destructive time we've seen in domestic transportation, says John Jansen, who worked in the shipping side of the industry for more than 20 years. Jansen spoke on a panel titled A Year of Upheaval. ELDs have turned many former one-day trips into two-day trips, said Jansen, which has increased shipping cost and put a major focus on trailer and driver turn time, he says. You have to start shaping company and operations to accommodate. The rate increase has put inherent pressure on shippers to say, what can we control? He says, with an emphasis on making ourselves a more desirable customer to carriers. It doesn't look any brighter for shippers in the upcoming months and years, he said. They're saying shippers were caught off guard. No, they weren't. If you paid attention, all of us drivers were bitching about the ELDs every time we come in to load or offload or why we're running late because we had to take a break. They can say all they want to about being caught off guard, but I don't. I I think that's bull hockey. Bruce Ridley of Major Shipper Packaging Corporation of America said he thought his company was headed for a tropical storm relative to changes in transportation and shipping costs for 2018. Rather, they had other shippers were hit with a perfect storm. He said, Refer, referring to freight growth and ELDs. His company had put an emphasis on building relationships with carriers as a means to control their shipping costs and head off the impacts that the record tight capacity and rates have wrought on shippers. Don Dask, president and CEO of Flatbed Conglomerate Dask Inc., I've never heard of him, made a bold prediction about the future of pay for flatbed company drivers. He foresees annual pay for flatbed drivers climbing from the current 60 to 65,000 to over $100,000 in five years due to the limited flatbed capacity and the need for drivers in the segment. The onus will be on shippers to find that ma massive pay bump by ha paying higher rates, he says. Shippers will have to bear the cost, he says. I don't think that pressure is going to lessen. We try to be more efficient. We urge our shippers to be more efficient, but there's only so much you can do. 
Shippers, unfortunately, will have to pay the price for us to get the drivers. Economy rates hold strong. The current economy recovery is now in its ninth year. Indicators point to continued expansion, said Bill Strauss, an economic advisor for Federal Reserve Bank, Chicago branch. <clears throat> I don't believe anything they say. He expects growth to continue into the next year, saying there's a very good possibility that the expansion will hit a record for consecutive months of economic growth, which would be set in July. So you could read, if you're interested, you could read the rest of this story. It'll be in the show notes. This episode of Julia's Truck and Cafe is brought to you by Julia's Virtual Assistant Service. Have you ever thought about hiring a virtual assistant? Do you even know what a virtual assistant is? Well, may I suggest you contact Julia's Virtual Assistant Service to find out how they can help you and your business. Do you have things that you hate doing? Well, hand them over to Julia's Virtual Assistant Service and concentrate on the things that you enjoy doing, from basic website design, social media marketing, to transcription. Julia's Virtual Assistant Service can help you and your business with the things that you hate doing. Any tasks that you have, hand it over to them. Contact Julia's Virtual Assistant Service today by going to their website at juliasvaservice.com. That's Julia's V is in Victor, A is in Apple service.com juliasvaservice.com now another news truck parking problems they're searching for solutions in the big cities despite the difficulty in finding truck parking especially because of the hours of service requirements enforced by the ELDs there is room for optimism according to those involved in the issue however they say the solution must be big and in the right places let me be an optimist for a minute said Dan Murray, Vice President of the American Transportation Research Institute, part of the American Trucking Association. We're about to undertake the second Jason's Law truck parking study. It should be kicking off in late 2018. I think that could be impetuous for moving to that next stage of truck parking capacity development. Okay, wait a minute, let's stop right there. They're worried about truck parking around the big cities, but yet, as you roll down the highway, don't you see a lot of rest areas being closed? How about that? How about all those rest areas being closed one after the other in Iowa, Illinois, you know, everywhere you look, rest areas are being closed. Where are we supposed to park, you know? Then all the truck stops. Half of the parking is VIP parking. 15, 18, Hammond, Louisiana. Three quarters of that Petro is paid for park. $18 a spot. You don't think T.A. Petra is making the money, making a killing on that, because they know you have to park somewhere. So they're going to jump on the bandwagon. I thought VIP Park was like a subcontractor of T.A. They're not. They're part of T.A. That's an extension of T.A. T.A. Petro. So back to the article. We're highly constrained in certain locations, such as those on the East Coast. Duh. And particularly the Northeast, and also in L.A. There's no question that it's catastrophic in some locations. It doesn't make, take much more than a brown, brown field, a bathroom, some garbage containers, and some either permanent or temporary lighting to turn it into an adequate, adequate truck parking facility. A brown field, a bathroom, some garbage containers. That's what they think of us. That's all we need, you know? He knows I say adequate because they may not be ideal in terms of all the amenities desired, but it's plenty adequate and far, far less expensive than a formal public rest stop would be. That's low-hanging fruit in just about everybody's mind, he warns. You cannot look at brown fields that are 15 miles off the interstate. One company is moving in the direction of urban parking. Scott Grenerf, consultant at Truck Specializing Parking Services, TSPS, 
said that one of the company's founders has several empty lots in the Detroit area, which have been turned into basic truck parking lots. The current total capacity for locations in Detroit is about 950 to 1500, depending on the percentages of usage. Bobtail drop trailers, trailer, tractor trailers. We are not a truck stop operated in the sense of like a TA, Petro, Pilot, Flying J, or a Love, said Greneth, who is also a member of the National Trucking Parking Coalition. Our priority is security. We've got a fence around the property, a seven-foot-high fence, plus razor wire, and it's electric. And there's no one way in and one way out. It's in the heart of the Detroit industrial area. We have a basic driver's lounge with leather couches, good quality Wi-Fi, showers, washers, dryers, and some vending machines. There's no other food available, but drivers are permitted to drop their trails and bobtail out to eat or do errands. He emphasizes that the area is strictly controlled and no one can just wander in like at public truck stops. Will this model be expanded to other areas? We want to be where the demand is, said Gurneth. We know that in other major market areas there are places where there is land available and a major part of our goal is to find these underutilized assets. Like Murray, he's looking forward to the Jace's Law report that is expected by year's end. One of the outcomes of the report will be a template to help drivers approach government officials about possible parking lots in areas in which they're familiar. These areas might be where they live or where they drive. For me, for example, that would be Nashville. I know it really well. I don't live there, but I trucked in there all the time. Yeah, the TA in Nashville, that's another real doozy of a truck stop. Woohoo! I wouldn't get caught, well, almost dead in there. Although, I guess I can't say that anymore, can I? Although he acknowledges the effort by states like Missouri that are razzing worn-out rest areas and turning them into basic truck parking lots and towns like Weed, California, and Elmira, New York that have turned unused land into parking areas, as well as the repurposing of Cloverleaf Void in Big Springs, Nebraska, these initi initiatives may not be enough. At the end of the day, no matter what anyone is doing, it's the tip of the iceberg. We have a serious lack of capacity. I cheer on the attention, interest, and research. We're involved in a dozen state truck parking studies, and that's step one in what we hope becoming a much bigger and broader initiative to increase capacity and provide real-time information on where that capacity is. I'm excited about the trend, but in terms of the number of new spaces that are entering the marketplace now, it's still insignificant. But yet we don't, we've got a trucking shortage. Uh-huh. You have an article like this that we're, we're struggling to park on the East Coast and all over, but we have a trucking shortage? Right. Okay. How hypocritical is that? He adds, I think we're setting a baseline for where we're at now and where we need to be. I'm hoping that all the interest becomes a groundswell to two solutions. Number one, first and foremost, more capacity. Number two, information on where that capacity is. One capacity is increased, Murray said. Truckers need a simple way to find empty spaces. Some folks are color coding green through red in terms of availability. Other people are providing real-time space counts. Someday we'll have to standardize the information so that truck drivers don't need to use five different apps on their phone particularly while they're driving. Greneth concludes, I think the general direction and consensus of both states and the federal government is very positive, but at some point we're going to need to bring all of our findings together and say, what is the next step that'll have a big impact on capacity and information? We're getting really, really close, but I wouldn't say we're pulled the trigger yet on that next leap of activity. Next up, Ohio troopers are looking for a semi-truck who hit a patrol car on the Ohio turnpike. They're 
Ohio State Patrol, and this happened on the 20th. Ohio State Patrol is asking for public help in locating a truck that struck a trooper's vehicle in a hit-and-run crash that morning. Troopers are looking for a white Volvo commercial vehicle hauling a white box trailer. Well, you know what? There's only a couple of few thousands of those. Dash cam video revealed a trailer has a wind fairing which spans the entire length of the trailer. Okay, I don't see that. Along with a black placard displayed on the passenger side and rear doors. A trooper from Milan Post was stopped with activated overhead lights on. In other words, his lights were going on the top of the car. And on the side of the road when the cruiser was struck. The trooper just got done assisting a motorist with a tire change. In other words, the motorist had a flat tire. The trooper was nice enough to pull over and help the motorist change the tire. And this semi decided to clip him at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, whether the driver was tired or um, was not paying attention, uh, was playing on his phone, I don't know. They don't know. The trooper had... Um, it was on Ohio Turnpike westbound around the 122 mile marker in Erie County. An unknown white Volvo commercial vehicle drove off the right side of the road, slide swiping the stationary cruiser. The drew, at least the trooper was inside the car, and he was wearing his seatbelt, and, but he, and was not injured. The car sustained a lot of damage, and it crippled it to the left front and damaged the wheel and the rim, and uh, it, that prevented the trooper from going after the truck. So if you have any information, or if you were maybe in that area at, at the, on September 20th at 2 a.m. in the morning, going um, westbound, or if you were going eastbound about the 122 mile stick and you saw this accident happen, please call the Ohio State Patrol Milan Post at 419-499-4808 or pound 677. Again, that's Ohio State Patrol, Milan Post, 419-499-4808. In Morris County, New Jersey, officers seized 10 kilograms of heroin, 10 kilograms of cocaine, with a street value of over a million dollars, and over $100,000 in cash from a California truck driver. During the evening of the 18th, a Netcock Patrol officer conducted a stop of a semi-truck for a motor vehicle violation that occurred on Main Street in the Netcong Borough, which I'm not 100% sure where that is. During this motor vehicle stop, after the officer was presented with multiple false names by the truck driver, he developed probable cause that the occupants of the vehicle were transporting illegal narcotics. A search of the trailer revealed a bulk quantity of heroin and a bulk quantity of cocaine hidden among a cargo shipment of onions in the trailer. Alrighty then, so then you get your, you high off your cocaine and your heroin and you get an onion high. Yeah. The total street value of the seized narcotics is in excess of over $1 million. Police also located $103,180 in cash, believed to be proceeds of the drug trafficking in the tractor. So the, the driver, of course, they, the person in the, in the truck got arrested. They're facing one count of first-degree possession of a controlled substance, heroin, one count of first-degree possession of controlled dangerous substance, cocaine, one count of second-degree financial facilitation of a criminal activity by transporting over $75,000 United States currency to be derived from criminal activity, one count of third-degree possession of a controlled dangerous substance, heroin, 
one count of third degree possession of controlled dangerous substance cocaine, and one count of disorderly persons hindering apprehension by giving false name to law enforcement. They're going away for quite a while. Williams was lodged in Morris County Correctional Facility on the arrest warrant pending his first appearance, and Earl Hagen's age 57, age 57 of Los Angeles, California. The passenger in the truck was charged with the following. He was also charged with all of the same things as the driver. Uh, police successfully indicted a significant quantity of drugs with this investigation. The seizure literally amounts to removing thousands of potential lethal doses of poison from our community, the prosecutor said, Mr. Knapp. And um, you could go ahead and finish out the rest of that story uh, in the show notes. Nine have been arrested in a prostitution sting at I-5 rest area in Washington State. September 18th, the uh, Washington State Patrol and the Federal Way Police Department set up an undercover operation on I-5 rest area in Federal Way. The location was chosen because of numerous complaints from travelers about criminal activity in the area. According to news release from the Washington State Patrol, within four hours, nine women had approached undercover officers to offer sex services. All nine women were arrested and given the opportunity to connect to a welfare advocate. The Washington State Patrol and many stakeholders recognize the crime issues that exist at Federal Way Rest Area and are working tirelessly to discourage criminal behavior. So... They also, um, back in February, 11 people were arrested at a truck stop along I-5 in Northern Pierce County as a part of Operation Human Freight for human trafficking. So I want to leave you with a good note that um, I will be doing a few more little things from time to time with the show. And hopefully everybody enjoys it. I try to keep it as interesting as possible. I mean, trucking is serious. It is a serious topic. You know, I try to find news and everything um to keep everybody abreast of what's going on in the trucking industry uh regs inspections and this kind of thing so i appreciate all of you that are listening you can find me on i at itunes at spotify also on iHeartRadio. radio um, please uh, like us on facebook follow us on twitter everything is also on the website at julia's trucking cafe.com that's julia's trucking cafe.com keep checking for new recipes and new cooking videos under the cafe menu cooking in your truck cafe menu is a drop down menu and then you just tap on cooking in your truck and you can see all the recipes i'm sharing and the videos that i'm making for helping the newbies out here with cooking in your truck so i hope all of you are having a good week and we'll be having a good week be careful, be safe, keep the until the next time, keep the shiny side up. Julia.